but they had something to show us, which was pretty faithful in terms of the surgeon experience. So I was intrigued. I think it's fair to say that I did not fully understand the um, the magnitude of the impact we could have with this thing at the time. I was like, yeah, you know, it's cool. It's cool technology. It's different. Why not? And then I started looking for, for people who could help me understand it better or position it better. And I brought them to the lab and, you know, they, they tried the system and they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> there's something there, right? It's very different. Hey, what's up? Welcome back to the Less Invasive Podcast, your source for minimally invasive surgery and robotics and other assistive technologies for the operating room and radiology environment. If you haven't done already, make sure to subscribe and rate the podcast five stars. I'm your host, Lucien Blondel, co-founder and CTO of Quantum Surgical, a startup commercializing the Epion robot for percutaneous tumor ablation. I bring to the table 20 years of experience in imaging and robotics in various specialties, orthopedics, neurosurgery, spine surgery, international radiology, and international oncology. Today, I'm super happy to have Anne Ozdua on the show. Anne is the CEO of a medtech startup called Moon Surgical. Moon is developing a robot for laparoscopy procedure called Maestro. Anne is also a VC partner at Sofinova, a Paris-based VC firm where she's in charge of a medtech acceleration fund. Prior to Moon, she also led a couple of medtech startups uh, created and seed-funded by MD Start, and she held roles in uh, marketing and clinical affairs in the medtech space. Now I'm moving on to uh, the AI and the data because this is a really big topic today. I mean, every medical device manufacturer is asked to talk about AI and uh, and. Uh, People do things differently, but uh, I understand from uh, your presentation at LSI, you were at a LSI um, event in uh, Europe uh, last year. You talk about uh, how you integrate AI and analytics into the, the surgical robot, and you are gathering data from three different streams. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I think I, I would agree with what you were suggesting, right? Data is a, is a buzzword. The question is, what do we, what do we do with it, right? And how we, how do we turn it into features of our product that can deliver value and be acceptable to regulators, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's really the, the the conundrum. The the first thing is obviously to collect data, and you know, if possible, to collect proprietary data. Why not? And so, you know, the data we collect is really coming from three different bricks or sources. You know, the first one is um, we're sensing the OR environment with using 3D um, depth cameras, basically, that are embedded on our system. Uh, I mentioned um, earlier the automation of the setup. I mean, that's part of the automation of the setup. It's understanding the surroundings of the system. And so there's a lot you can do when you understand what's going on in the room, right? Not yep. only you know, automate the setup. So that, that's the first data stream. The second uh, source of data is, is really the arms. So I, I also mentioned earlier that the arms themselves are sensors. So we constantly, you know, document what we call the telemetry of the system and, and yeah, basically capture the, the positions, the forces, the movements of anything that is held by the arms. 
And so that's really important because it, it really gives you an insight on um, not only how every surgeon performs surgery, but also almost their intentions, right? Because you, you, you understand the forces before even, you know, the instruments get, get moved. And so that's, that's you know, a, a really, um, it's, a, it's really a goldmine, essentially. And, and it's, it's, nobody else has that, right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a technology that is pretty much opposite to the traditional robotic arms, right? Which are made for everything but being transparent, right? So, so that's the second source of data. And then the second, the, the third one, sorry, is, is one that everybody has. It's the laparoscopy um, yeah, the video, video feed, feed, right? Yeah. Coming, coming, coming from the laparoscope. And so that gives you insights on, you know, basically what's going on inside the abdomen, right? The steps of the procedures, the surgical technique, the clinical decision-making, etc. Um, but the, the beauty is when, when you combine all these, there's a lot more you can do with the data than, than, than what, um, you know, um, has been done traditionally. And so before we started working on actual features coming out of this data, we, we started actually putting together the data backend infrastructure that would enable us to collect this data, even in our cadaver labs, right, to, to, to make sure that you know, even without knowing what we would do with that data, we, we were sure we had it somewhere in, in the right format and, and, and ready to be used in the future. And and then after that, you know, the question became, okay, what, you know, what do we do with that? Or where do we start? Right? Because there's so much you can do with the data. There is the stuff you can do in the procedure. There's the stuff you can do outside of the procedure. There's the stuff you can do to help with efficiency. There's the stuff you can do to help with um, clinical decision-making. It's it's infinite. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we decided that we would start with a few features which have a lot of things to bring to our core value, right? Adaptability, accessibility, simplicity. And so, you know, this example of the automated setup is, is, I think, a good one. It's, you know, it's not necessarily a feature that, well, it's not a feature that will deliver clinical value, right? For sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But we believe it's a feature that de- delivers tremendous value, right? In terms of facilitating the usage of your system, probably removing 10 minutes of setting up your system is, is a key to, you know, um, yeah developing its adoption right so you know we we started with features like that and and you know if you think about i mean one of our criterion for choosing the features we're going to implement based on data is um the regulatory bar for sure we we want to implement things that can actually become a product and that you know are not going to result in an endless fight uh, with the regulators um, so um, it's another another filter for us. Okay, so just one one last question uh, because and, and I mean I, I'm very excited about uh, I, w- I would like to see this uh, this this technology because uh, I mean on the field there are you know Medtronic as the touch surgery with the video feed mm-hmm. the AI analysis intuitive as the same with the intuitive hub other companies are providing off the shelf systems for surgical video analysis and stuff yeah. like that. you are, you are the only one to my knowledge to have this uh, depth camera to analyze what's happening in the room and actually provide looking at providing it into a into a commercial product there are research project obviously but um, you know it's interesting what you say there are several companies that equipped 
that equip operating rooms with um, with 3D cameras, right? Uh, but they, they, they put these cameras in the corner of the room, right? So it gives you a lot of insights um, on what's happening in the OR and you can do a lot of things with that. So, you know, you can... Uh, you can prepare the next patient when you're getting close. You can detect errors. You can count the number of um, gauze, you know, uh, filled yep. with blood, and make sure you, you can do a ton of things. But but it's not directly connected. Yeah, it's not connected to the, the robot. Cur- exactly to yeah. to the to the corrective action, if you will, mm-hmm. or to the um, consecutive action, right? And I think the beauty uh, with a robot is you can sort of make it closed loop. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So uh, I will welcome to Paris to see this robot for sure. All right. Jeez. So we, we're moving on to. Uh, uh, so I know a lot no, more about uh, the Maestro robot and how it is uh, intended to be used in a laparoscopy procedure for uh, for high volume uh, specialty. Now moving on to the Moon Surgical story, uh, learning about the company and the startup journey. So, what's the story behind Moon Surgical? When and how it started? So Moon Surgical was not called Moon Surgical initially. I think you have a question on the name. It was founded by Professor Brice Gaillet, um, who is, you know, a very, you know, famous laparoscopy surgeon in, in Europe and a co-founder, uh, Pierre Cambredon. Uh, and, and Brice had really worked for, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years with a robotics lab at Sorbonne University. Uh, so the lab is called Isir. And he had been working on this concept of what they call the cobot, right? Co-manipulation robot. And, you know, they had identified technology um, to develop, develop that concept. And they had, um, they had a demonstrator in the lab that was functional. And, and they were able to, to show us or show me in January of 2020 a demo. Right. I mean, I had known Brice for 10 or 15 years. I had worked with him on a project at Monarchia Technologies and I had kept in touch with him. You know, one of our Endistart Protruder companies called Safe Heal is in the field of digestive surgery as well. So I had, you know, occasionally met Brice to discuss that. And um, yeah, in you know January of 2020, he said, hey, you know, I have this thing. It might be ready for a technology transfer. Uh, you know, do you want to come over? And, you know, they they did have something at the lab at Easier, which was, you know, nowhere close to, you know, a clinical product, nowhere close to our robot today. It was essentially um, the arms, very different arms than, than they are today, you know, fewer um, degrees of freedom, completely different operating system. They were running on Windows. I mean, like, you know, things that, you know, needed to be vastly changed. But they had something to show us, uh, which was pretty faithful in terms of the surgeon experience, mm-hmm. right? So I was intrigued. I think, I, I mean, it's fair to say that I did not fully understand the um, the magnitude of the impact we could have with this thing at the time. I was like, yeah, you know, it's cool. It's cool technology. It's different. Why not? And then I started looking, uh, you know, for, for people who could, help me understand it better or position it better and you know i was um you know looking for for experts and i had a former uh, team member from monarchia technologies who who was um one of the early employees at oris outside of r&d you know he was uh, tasked with 
basically you know doing the very initial um, positioning work for the for the monarch system at, at Oris. And so I called him and said, hey, like you know, who would you recommend to basically assess this technology? And he gave me names of people who had been instrumental in developing uh, Da Vinci and um, other robots. And I brought them to the lab. And, you know, they, they tried the system and they're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's something there, right? It's very different. Okay. And so we, we basically did our diligence. And, uh, you know, we, we it's interesting because we got very... Um, very definitive feedback from people. I, I will tell you one of the interesting pieces of feedback we got, which was that in robotics, you have to pick a clinical indication and develop something that is entirely specialized around that and stick to it. I was like, really? Is that what you should do for this platform? You know, I, I, I couldn't entirely see it. But anyway, we, we got, I, I think, sufficient feedback to be convinced that, you know, there was something there without knowing exactly what we would do. And then, uh, you know, MD Star decided to um, basically invest in the project. There was there was a company created, but there was no money in the company. Okay. And there were also no team, right? There were no operators to develop mm -hmm. it. So we, we invested in June of 2020, then started discussing the license and the transfer of the technology. I know you had some questions around that. Um, we ultimately transferred the demonstrator on October 1st of 2020, so just over two years ago. That was the day uh, my first employee joined. He okay. was uh, you know, a former colleague uh, from Wenakia, and he, he's our head of software. And I'm glad he joined the same day because I would have been totally clueless with that <laughs> demonstrator. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then other people joined, you know, in, in the following few months. So that, that, I mean that's impressive because that's a very fast time to uh, FDA clearance. I mean, if it, if you started in October, yeah, if you consider and, we redeveloped and, everything. Yes. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's uh, that's crazy. So, what 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 were the main challenges that you identified you had to solve when you you, you started as a CEO of this uh, very early stage company, uh, but yet with a aggressive timeline. So one of my one of my mandates was really to build an initial team. That would accelerate the project, right? I mean, this is uh, this is the the, the MDSR DNA is you know you you identify these projects early, you invest um, basically uh, uh, the company creation or in the seed round, and um, and you accelerate them while de-risking them. So I, I was looking for I, I was looking for resources, but I was mostly trying to understand you know how do you start a team in surgical robotics, right? I mean, I had never done that, um, so I spoke with a lot of people. Okay, who are the first resources, etc.? Where do you find them? And I realized that you know a lot of the knowledge and the skill set is in the U.S. You know, I mean that's where most of the companies are. And so I wanted to keep the company in France, and our arms supplier is in France, and a lot of things are in France. The lab, of course, the technology came from is in France. Our surgeon founder is in France. So there was no question about the fact that you know it would be a French company, and we would have you know a part of our team there. But I realized that, you know, recruiting, uh, you know, a few people in the U.S., you know, could help, okay. uh, to say the least. So, you know, I started exploring that. Um, and that, that was, uh, you know, in the summer of 2020. So before we had transferred technology. And I got a few names, uh, you know, from a few of my contacts and, and started, you know, essentially a very intense uh, courtship. <laughs> 
with a few people in the US where I would speak with them every week. You know, we had a okay. weekly meeting uh, with, with several of them and I would just pitch them the story and I had nothing. I mean, I had, I didn't have the demonstrator. I didn't have a team. I didn't have an office. I had nothing. I was just telling them, Hey, you know, this is what the technology is about. And, this is what we could do with it. And, you know, it's, uh, it's extremely differentiated. It could address, you know, a very large market and, you know, it's going to be great. Please join me, you know, Come and you have friends. to realize, you know, I, I, I was in France. It was during COVID. There was no vaccine. Mm. There was no oh. way to travel. Right. Okay. At the time we had these discussions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We forget, we've forgotten about that. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was of course a, a leap of faith for these people. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. So, which is why Big I had one. to speak with them repeatedly and repeatedly and they didn't know me and, you know, everybody in this industry sort of knows each other. Uh, so I also had to, you know, try to come across as someone sort of credible. And so, yeah, so it, it took me a few months and then um, Dave Newman, our CTO joined, um, at the end of November, and um, Jeff Alvarez, our um, chief strategy officer, joined in January of 2021. And then from that from that point, it, it was uh, I wouldn't say easy, but you know, I mean, from that point, it started going very very fast. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's from that point I started feeling like I was driving a Ferrari and trying not to put it into the wall. Okay, cool. <laughs> and it has been the case since then. Okay. I, was, I must say. And, and so, so right now, I understand that, that it's a, both a French-American uh, uh, company. So how do you mm -hmm. work with those two cultures? How do you, yeah, what is it like to have a, a, this kind of company? Yeah, so we are a French-American company. We have, you know, a big part of the team here and a big part of the team in the U.S. Small half here, large half in the U.S., For the first six months, so basically until July of 2021, we couldn't meet, right? We could never meet. So, so we just, you know, developed this company culture where you have to kind of do extra efforts on anything related to communication, right? So, so we, we, we speak a lot behind the screen. Of course, the time difference with California doesn't help, right? Nine yeah. hours. So, you know, anyone who joins the company in the US has to be ready to work um, relatively early in the morning. Anyone who joins the company in France has to be ready to work rather late in the evenings, at least, you know, one day a week, right? Uh, we, we've, we've kind of evolved and condensed, you know, uh, these, uh, these late meetings, but, you know, it's, you know, if it has to be this way, right? There's just no other way. And so, you know, we have, basically uh you know company policy where um let's say during 4 p.m and 7 8 p.m here uh you know it's all dedicated to to meetings we have shortened meetings to 45 minutes so that we can have more meetings and have more discussions in in that time frame and uh and we just um yeah had a lot of interactions and and i think you know we we've benefited tremendously from being on both sides right because You know, the French team works during the day, then they go to bed, they mm. wake up in the next morning, the US team has worked during the night shift. It means like around the clock, it never stops. And and you have new results in the morning and mm. you take it from there. And it's it's pretty amazing how, how efficient uh, we have been. And then, of course, um, the borders reopened at some point, you know, finally. 
and we've been able to see each other on a very regular basis. Uh, you know, we, we, we do a lot of work here in Paris. We, we have our U.S. colleagues coming over all the time. We, we, and we, and we go to the U.S. a lot. You know, either individual team members, that's pretty constant, or um, the whole team. We, we had, for instance, a, a whole team event here in France this week. But we do those quite, quite frequently. It's, it's important. Um, okay. At least at our stage, to to develop the the company culture. Sure, sure. So you you are talking about the acceleration and and, and the mention of the the Ferrari. Is the partnership with Nvidia part of this acceleration? What uh, so there, there was a press release about the, you know Moon Surgical being alongside other companies like Proximi and Active Surgical in a Nvidia yeah. Inception program, and I guess mm -hmm. the Maestro platform is is using this uh, Nvidia uh, AI uh, platform. Can you talk a, a little bit yeah. about what does this partnership brings to an early stage company? Yeah, so, um, you know, we always had um, this data component in mind, right, uh, for, for our platform. And, um, and, you know, we knew it was not the immediate focus because the immediate focus was developing the hardware um, and the software to control it. But we, we knew it would come next. And so we, we started, um, you know, thinking about, you know, the data infrastructure and the data processing very early. I mean, as soon as we basically started working on the architecture of the system. And um, at that time, um, you know, a year and a half ago, NVIDIA had um, already a very, um, I would say, pretty vocal strategy about growing into life sciences, right, which, which has been you know, part of their messaging for, for a few years now. And, you know, if you look at the companies which presented this year at um, the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference this month, earlier this month uh, in San Francisco, NVIDIA is the second largest market cap company which presented at JP Morgan this year, right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's very obvious um, that life sciences is, is an important piece of their growing business, right? So they had um, basically this program where they were enrolling a few companies to help um, define the specifications of a new GPU that would be designed for um, medical devices. And so, you know, we, we, of course, had to, you know, apply and, you know, explain why it was important to us. Um, and I guess we were, um, you know, probably um, legit enough to... <laughs> to make it in the, into the program and have since then had a great collaboration with them really de developing this thing. I mean, you know, writing the specs, explaining our needs, explaining what we need in terms of, um, you know, uh, managing redundancies, managing emergency situations, managing a lot of things um, that are very specific to our industry. And they were listening and taking the feedback and integrating that into their, you know, new product, um, which, which has been amazing. Um, so, For us, it was a bit of a bet uh, because it was a product that was in development mm -hmm. and that is in development at NVIDIA. And, you know, on, in our first inhuman system, we basically used surrogates, right, <laughs> to kind of replicate what we um, will be getting from NVIDIA. But um, for the development of our commercial system, we were expecting that, you know, that element coming from NVIDIA. 
And so it is the case now we are, you know, integrating the, the, their technology and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great um, enabler basically for all these uh, future features that we, we will be adding to the system. Fantastic. Yeah, great. I mean, uh, that's uh, the, the impact of AI in healthcare and uh, especially in uh, surgical robotics. It's just uh, just growing and uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's amazing to yeah, see. Yeah, it's just the beginning. The, yeah, it's just mm -hmm. the beginning. So uh, everybody is like... Uh, I don't know how you say it in English, like building the plane as you as you fly it. So mm -hmm. I, 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 just, I, I hear exactly. this, this kind of story uh, with your partnership with uh, with Nvidia. So moving on to the, the last part, because I want to be mindful of uh, of your time, uh, both CEO and NVC, and that that's the question. Uh, by the way, uh, you are both you have do, those both roles, which is uh, I don't think not that much common in uh, at least in the medtech uh, startup uh, environment and. Uh, What does your schedule look like when you have this kind, those two roles and, and one of them is also for our French uh, American company? Um, I would say busy. Okay. <laughs> no surprise. Um, uh, but busy doesn't bother me. You know, busy is good. It's, um, it's very um, intertwined, right? I mean, I don't tell myself, hey, today I'm the CEO of Moon Surgical and tomorrow I'll be a partner at so, you know, the partners in, in charge of them. We start. No, it, it doesn't work this way, right? Because when you're the CEO of a, of, a, of a company, it never stops, right? Especially a French-American company, right? It's, uh, it, it never stops. So, um, so you know, it, my, my schedule is, is different every day, right? I mean, I have all the usual things a CEO would have, which is, of course, you know, one-on-one -on -one meetings with a number of, you know, people in the team, uh, leadership meetings, uh, team meetings, yeah, weekly meetings about a number of things. Of course, my job is to make sure no one in the company ever worries about money. So, you know, fundraising is uh, an integral yeah. part of... Um, of my job and takes, you know, a big chunk of my time, um, managing our current investors, our board, uh, thinking about the strategy, uh, doing a lot of planning. So, um, you know, all that is, you know, of course, you know, it's kind of a daily uh, activity. And then, you know, on, on the Sophie Nova side, it's a bit the same thing, right? You receive deal flow and, and you work on your opportunities you know, pretty much as they show up, right? You can't okay. tell someone, hey, wait, you know, I'm not going to listen to your pitch today because <laughs> I have another job. So, um, you know, I, I, I do my best, I guess. I have, you know, I think it's predicated on having absolutely fantastic teams uh, on both sides, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and people, I'm, I am not a micromanager. <laughs> I, I I trust people, uh, and, uh, trust and, and you know I yeah and and they know I'm here if if needed you know anytime I'm you know very reactive and very um, available for people, um, but I also let them you know do their work and um, it's been okay so far. Sounds great. It's been so, great. <laughs> yeah. One last question: uh, If you weren't a VC partner, if you weren't a medtech CEO and money was not a concern, what would, what would you do today? That's a, that's a tricky one, but I, I sort of answered it already, Lucien. I said I wanted to be a physician, right, as a kid. Yeah, I forgot about so, that. So, you know, that, that, would be, that would be, you know, one of my answers. I think I, I yeah, I, th I still think I would have loved to be a physician because, you know, I'm just you know, extremely interested and passionate about, you know, the way we deliver care and um it's it's just a fascinating um 
occupation to me, if you will. And and I'm also, you know, from a personal standpoint, extremely grateful because I, you know, one of my children has been very sick over the past few years and I spent a lot of time in hospitals and just seeing, you know, what they work with and, you know, how they can transform your life has only made that feeling stronger. But um, I would also say that, you know, if money was not a concern, if I could do anything, if I had, if I had all the time in the world, um, I would be a writer. I, I love writing and uh, I like also uh, you know, being a little bit creative. So I, I think I would enjoy that as well. Cool. I think I, I would uh, I would uh, create a paragliding uh, school if I had uh, if I was not a CTO <laughs> co-founder and uh, money was not an issue. But uh, that would be great. Yeah, that yeah. that would be awesome. I, I could. Can uh, you be a professional marathon runner? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I might do that as well. But oh, cool, I, I would have cool. To be are, are you running a mar- are you running a marathon this year? Yes. Uh, well, I don't know if I'm running it, but I'm registered for the Paris Marathon. Okay. Is, well, is it in a? It's, it's in, in April. April, okay. April. Cool. All right. Thank you so much, Anna, for being on the show, sharing your thoughts about uh, laparoscopy, the maestro robot, and uh, sharing a bit of the, the story behind uh, Moon Surgical. Hang on a minute. Uh, we'll chat uh, offline. Thank you very much, Anne. Thanks, Lucien. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Less Invasive Podcast. This is a podcast covering minimally invasive surgery, robotics, other assistive technologies for the uh, operating room and radiology environment. Uh, If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and rate the podcast five stars. Thanks. Mm -hmm.